I expected this facility to be so filled with people just slaving away, but I was actually pleasantly surprised that a lot of these things were robotic. And honestly, everybody was just working like normal, like chill, sitting down. They weren't even sweating. We were the ones sweating walking through the whole facility. I don't think anyone really believes fast fashion is good for the world. From questionable working conditions to massive amounts of waste, the only upside is cheaper clothes that are always suspiciously on trend. In an attempt to mitigate some of these claims, Sheehan invited several fashion influencers to their facilities in China. And surprising no one except Sheehan and the influencers who took the trip, the internet isn't thrilled with their viral factory tours. The fallout has resulted in influencer apologies and many think pieces. Sheehan, however, doesn't appear to think that this latest bad press or prior consumer trends towards values line shopping will affect their success as they filed confidentially for US IPO this week. I'm Daryl Etherington, and this is the TechCrunch Podcast, where we talk about the top stories in tech with the people who cover them. First up, today I'm talking with TechCrunch's Amanda Silverling about why Shein is on the She Out. Hey, Amanda, how's it going? Weathering the apocalypse, which is um, an evergreen statement at this point. It's true. Yes, we are right now on the East Coast in the midst of a Canadian wildfire fallout disaster sort of thing i guess but you know the usual we call canadian i just want to make sure this is probably not gonna get cut but nobody should blame don't blame canada for this this is a global environment there's no borders when it comes to ecological crises it's it's not our fault that's beautiful daryl <laughs> yeah uh so what is happening in Shein news and fast fashion news we got a lot of stuff going on this week but mm-hmm. something just happened now as we record and we'll talk about that a bit but i think first we should go back to what's going on with influencers and Shein. yeah so Shein hosted an influencer trip and they went to a factory in china and there's just all these videos of these influencers being like oh, the factory conditions aren't that bad. One person literally said, they aren't even sweating. <laughs> like It's not a literal sweatshop because I can't see sweat is basically the implication. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really bad. And it's a pretty thinly veiled attempt from Shein to try to rehabilitate their image because they have a deserved reputation for having really bad labor practices, they're under investigation in the U.S. They sell direct-to-consumer products so, so cheaply that Mm. there is just absolutely no way that it is being made ethically. And there have been investigative reports that have found definitively that there are labor violations. Right. And yet they have these TikTokers going to the factory and being like, oh my god, everyone here said that they love their job. And then, of course... Under penalty of of dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, anyone with common sense can kind of deduce that if you are going on a trip being escorted by Shein staff and they are having you talk to people that you meet on their very specific trip, those people are not in front of Shein staff going to tell you, like, it sucks here. Right. I hate my job. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, there's so many things here that feel like lessons we've already learned. I guess that's another theme of all life, but particularly the past few years. But like, you know, the fast fashion and then the cost of labor and like how that, go, like that's that was a big deal, I don't know, like a decade or more ago when American Apparel was the thing that was born out of that that I remember, right? Because they were like, 
oh, well, we want to pay people locally in LA and we'll manufacture here and we'll pay them a fair living wage. And there's all kinds of other things that went wrong with the American apparel story. And we don't need to get into that here, but the jelly shoes were a mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. But that was a direct response to people being upset about the sweatshop conditions and like, mm-hmm. yeah. And labor in countries where there aren't necessarily the regulations and protections of human rights that we have or that we enjoy here in North America. And yet Sheehan is like, I don't even know the actual statistics around, but I think they're like one of the largest clothing sellers in the world, if not most by volume or something, right? Yeah, like right now, or I guess right now as of like a couple days ago when I wrote about this, if you go on the app store under like shopping, the rankings are Temu, which is another Chinese direct-to-consumer low-cost retailer, Shein, and then Amazon. So like this is bigger than Amazon per app store, which is not an exact science, but like it's a really big deal. Like we're not talking about some random brand like Shein is extremely ubiquitous and there's been a lot of backlash in social media circles towards Shein already not just for the bad labor practices because I mean like I love that people care about this because I think people should care about this but Mm -hmm. it's not like people are getting the same amount of hate for being like Here's 10 Amazon must-haves for your bathroom reorganization. Right, right. Which I get served a lot of those videos because I'm on organization talk. It's <laughs> it's fine. It's normal. But people were already feeling really negatively about Shein Halls, which do you know about Halls? No, I don't know about them. Please explain. And maybe our listeners don't as well. So basically, if you're a fashion influencer... Something that you will do to make a YouTube video that people watch and therefore you get money. Oh, like a haul. Ah. Yes. You order like $500 of Shein stuff, which in Shein terms, $500, you're probably getting like 100 items of clothing. Right, right. So they try them all on and they just kind of like make videos about their try-ons and then that's their video. But people get really upset about Shein hauls because... Haul videos generally, no matter where they're from, tend to generate a lot of waste. Absolutely. And I think Gen Z especially is very environmentally conscious, which connects back to our beginning banter about how right now it's like dangerous outside because... Yeah. Yeah. Because environment bad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's all connected. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It is. And I think... So it's obviously massively wasteful too, right? So yeah, you're talking about the labor stuff, but then you're like, it's fast. The other word for it, fast fashion is like the sanitizer word for it, I think. It's more like disposable fashion is another way to put it, right? Yeah. I'm sure a lot of these haul videos, they're just like, oh, try, try, try. And then they're like, I don't like this. And then they're just tossing it or whatever, right? Like at that price point, you're probably like, I'm going to order 15 things and maybe I'll keep three of them and throw away. That's probably an extreme example, but like you don't really care or feel it in the same way that if you spend a decent amount on a quality item and then are like, I feel obliged to now wear this because I've invested something in it, right? Yeah, I think people definitely do that where they order a lot and then they throw out some of it just because at that point, like... Like you could return it maybe, but like why bother if it's like a dollar or something? Yeah, like are you going to go to the post office and like print something out and like repackage it to get like $3? Yeah, yeah. Which... I'm running into this now because I've been on my Depop grind because I'm moving (laughs) soon. And then I'm like, damn, why am I walking all the way to the post office, a 30-minute walk round trip to get like $7? Yeah, I know. In theory, it would be nice to just go on a walk. However, I can't right now because the world is burning. Right, right. Yes, that's (laughs) another problem is that we actually just literally can't go outside. Yeah. 
I had to message my Depop person and be like, hey, I'm going to delay shipping because I need to uh, not go outside right now. <laughs> but uh, hopefully they understand in these circumstances. Yeah, that, we'll see. Uh, yeah. So the influencers, like, do they then suffer, like, reputationally? Are you seeing that? Or do you think that their mm-hmm. followers kind of don't care and are bought in and whatever? Because, you know, I think that's, like, the one control. Because we always have identified sort of problems with this and journalists often point out like, well, if you're listening to a YouTuber about something like, remember, they're not a journalist, like they have a very different goal and set of principles and whatever, which isn't to say like there are plenty of ethical influencers out there. And I don't mean to put forward the idea that there aren't, but like the control has been audiences don't like that and will reject it and will find it disingenuous. If you start doing that, do you see that happening here? Do you think that this is going to have backlash for these people? Or do you think people are just like, I love Chin and I want free cheap shit too. No, I think they're getting tremendous backlash. And one of the influencers, Danny DMC, made this like 12 minute video. Just, I don't know. It was honestly, okay, like her apology video was not even bad because also last night, this is totally unrelated, but this YouTuber, Colleen Ballinger, put out the worst apology video of all time. So now <laughs> the apology video from this influencer, I'm like, yeah, it wasn't even that bad because Colleen Ballinger sang a 12-minute song on ukulele about like how she didn't groom children. She just was, quote-unquote, a loser. It's a whole thing. The only thing I've ever groomed is my two Persian cats. I'm not a groomer. I'm just a loser. Um, yeah, but the worst YouTube apology ever dropped yesterday is the point. Nice. But this less bad apology from one of the influencers who went on this China trip she was basically just saying like, oh, like I thought I did my research and I like asked them questions and I thought that the answers they gave me were authentic. And like, it kind of reminds me as a journalist, it's like, let's say hypothetically, Instagram does something harmful. Right. If you email Instagram for a comment, which is standard journalistic practice, just to like give them a chance to respond, they're going to send you back a generic statement like, we really care about the well-being of the users on our platform yeah. and we're trying our best. And that's probably what these influencers are being told, but then they're buying it because they're not trained journalists. Although, right. honestly, I think it doesn't take a ton of common sense to realize that if a company is feeding you that line, it means nothing. But yeah, yeah, but it, it is like a, it's a credulity thing. Like, it's like, oh, you should be somewhat incredulous about someone who stands to gain significantly from providing an answer that is contrary to truth or that warps truth in some way. But yeah, maybe it's that people don't have that muscle necessarily as much, or maybe it's that this isn't new, right? Like automotive journalists for a long time enjoyed a lot of paid trips places. We don't do that here at TechCrunch and that's why Kirsten's great. But like, (laughs) There's a lot of junkets, and it was very clear that I was having an influence. As much as you like, say, I'm saying this out, right? Like, I, we did this thing, and this is what happened, and it didn't influence me. And then it's like, but it probably did, though, right? Mm-hmm. It seems like there's that going on here, too, but it, they're, without the attempt to make transparent, you know, what are your potential biases or whatever, right? Yeah, and I think... To your point, like there is a lot more journalism happening from independent YouTubers and TikTokers. Yeah. And I do think that is neither a good nor a bad thing. I think there's obviously the negative of if things aren't properly fact-checked, then 
there's a lot more potential for misinformation to spread. But also, I think it's a good thing if news isn't only coming from this very specific industry. Like, I don't know. It's like there are so many people that are qualified to do journalism that aren't doing journalism because there's like five jobs left in journalism and we have two of them. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And you can't have these ones. Sorry, folks listening. (laughs) Please don't take my job. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I think this is sort of a microcosm of so many issues in how influencers interact with fans because the whole point of influencer marketing is that if I tell you, hey, Daryl, I like my iPhone, that means more to you than you seeing an iPhone commercial. Yeah. But I think now people are sort of coming back around and being like, well, if this person is being paid to show me a product, that doesn't mean anything either. Yeah. And I think it does balance out. I I like you putting it like you feel neither good nor bad about it. I kind of feel the same way, right? Where I I don't think it's like a self-fixing problem in that like we shouldn't pay attention to it and we shouldn't try to like take action to ameliorate it. But I do think that there is this natural like cyclical thing with audiences where like they'll credulously believe source XYZ for a while and then realize like, wait, why am I trusting all of that though? And it, they, you know, it's misled me a few times and then go into sort of a healthy skepticism or doubting period or whatever. And that will then change that institution to be better. I think that has happened a lot of, even with like mainstream media, right? But I don't want to even say the words mainstream media though, because like a million people will jump on us on Twitter and be like, that's right, you're all criminals. And that's not what I mean. Everyone listening, please don't. Please don't bother me. Yeah. But before we go too far down that rabbit hole, I do want to touch on the news that just happened. So we've seen a report, at least that Sheehan has confidentially filed for US IPO. Interesting timing for them, given how all this is blowing up. But what do you think about that? Was this something that you had seen rumors of before that was kind of bubbling around? Or what do you think their goals are there? Yeah, there were rumors about this. I mean, they've been raising like billions of dollars in venture capital, which is something that like, I don't know if I've ever seen like who raises billions of dollars like that feels yeah a lot like not like a valuation it's like they are like we are looking for three billion dollars right i don't know i mean we were all expecting this and i mean i think what i'm curious to see is like in my universe of being extremely online for me i'm like oh yeah everyone's talking about this Shein influencer trip it was a disaster like everyone knows that Shein is a company that has a lot of human rights violations etc but I don't know if the general public really knows that. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Or if people care. And I do think even one thing that I do think is relevant that Danny DMC touched on in her apology is, so she's a plus size model. And she was making the point that she was excited to work with Shein because Shein is one of like very few retailers that has affordable plus size clothing. Right, right. And on an individual basis, like I'm not going to hold a grudge against someone for shopping at Shein if that's what they can afford. Right. And there's like no options for them. Yeah. But on the level of like, you're not an individual, you are an influencer that has hundreds of thousands of followers and you're promoting this company to them and serving as like an ambassador for them. That's a completely different situation. The problem in itself is why aren't companies more willing to make plus size clothing when there is an extremely large population of people that need to be clothed who are plus size? Right. But 
it's not the individual's problem. But as an yeah. individual with a massive platform and presumably the financial resources, you can choose who to or who not to work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point because, like, there probably are very limited options, but you have the ability to, like, at that level and at that scale, you have the ability to influence other people to perhaps make better choices in that from the manufacturer side and then, like, offer up alternatives that are doing that and that don't have the human cost that they have on the other side that Shein does, right? Mm -hmm. For me, from the public market, I think that it's always interesting to see in a sort of mildly depressing way, like what public market investors are willing to stomach in terms of, do they care about any of the human rights violations? Do they care about any of that? Or do they care about how many millions of flimsy pieces of fabric that this company is willing to sell, right? I don't know. I'm very skeptical. Like, do corporations care about things that are not related to making profits? Right. And she and make so much money because they sell so many things because people are buying so many things because they can make so many things. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think there's something like there is a report from rest of world in like 2021 or something where Shein was adding between several hundred and a thousand items to the shop every day wow. because they have a tech stack that like literally looks at like what did Kim Kardashian wear on the red carpet? We're going to make like 12 dresses that look like that. Right. Or there's also like innumerable issues of independent artists having their designs replicated by Shein. Like yeah, yeah. the evidence is so overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. I think I think this is going to be a really interesting test case because we had like values aligned shopping was like a very big trend in like the past decade or something. And then this especially as it hits the public market, is like, are we flipping back to another extreme, which is like a totally sociopathic mass market producer, mm -hmm. right? But we'll yeah. find out. I won't invest. I won't invest in anything. <laughs> That's my ethics statement. I don't invest. I think it would be unethical journalistically exactly. for us to invest in Shein. I, well, yes, <laughs> it would be unethical. I don't have any stock. This is my disclosure, as everyone knows. But Index funds only. Index funds only. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Uh, yeah. We are way off the beaten path, but thank you very much for joining me, Amanda. This is not financial advice. <laughs> this does not constitute financial advice. And I hope that the smoke clears up and you're able to go outside and enjoy real air again sometime soon. Yeah, I got to um, have a net zero impact by, on one hand, I am uh, mailing someone this skirt. On the other hand... Is the process of mailing a package actually counteracting the environmental benefit of secondhand clothing? <laughs> <laughs> a good ethical conundrum for the listeners to consider. <laughs> yep. What should I do? Should I get my $7 by walking to the post office? Tell us in the comments. <laughs> Here are all the headlines that are making news this week. Netflix may be moving to simplify its cost structure starting in Canada. The streamer got rid of its basic ad-free plan, ditching the $9.99 tier and leaving the lowest ad-supported plan at $5.99, and then $16.99 as the cheapest ad-free option. The basic plan is still available in the U.S. for now, but this could indicate that the company wants to either push people to see more ads or to pay more money. Check out Yvonne Mehta's article on TC for more. IRL, a social app with a unicorn valuation, has shut down entirely. The startup revealed that based on an investigation by the company's board, it found 95% of its reported user base were actually fake, which is weird for a company whose name means in real life. IRL had raised $200 million in venture funding in part because of its user base of reported 20 million people. The vast majority of those were actually bots, though, the board found. More on TC from Amanda Silberling. 
Google's DeepMind is making big claims about its unreleased AI chatbot. The company says its bot will be able to do more than rivals like OpenAI's ChatGPT, in part because some of its smarts come from AlphaGo, the game-playing AI DeepMind previously developed. Read more about DeepMind's Gemini large language model on TC from Kyle Wiggers. A spyware app called Let Me Spy has been hacked, exposing the messages, call logs, and locations collected by the app from thousands of Android users globally since 2013. These spyware apps often have lax security that allows for breaches, making their inherently unsavory business even worse for the victims involved. You can find out more about this on TC from Zach Whitaker. That's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us. You can read all of the stories we talked about at TechCrunch.com. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and review. Also, join us at Disrupt in San Francisco this September. You can save up to $600 when you buy your pass now through August 11th. And you can save an additional 15% on top of that with promo code CRUNCH. Visit TechCrunch.com slash Disrupt to learn more. And finally, don't miss the other TC podcasts. We have found Equity and Chain Reaction. See you next week. The TechCrunch podcast is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamitz with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. 